0: Amen. It is Resurrection Sunday. Are y'all excited to be here? Woo! It's good to see you. If you're visiting with us, I'm so glad you're here with us this morning to celebrate this day. Uh, It is a good day. I had a, a really special last like 10 minutes that no one else in this church got to experience. Maybe you guys back here, but I had the opportunity to like sit in front of the Fifth Street Children's Choir, which is all the young kids right here. And there we have a group of kids up here, and I'll tell you what—they were singing, belting it out. I think I might have heard some harmonizing, and um, I think that Jesus was especially pleased by the worship of these folks right up here. So I enjoyed that. I I could have I could have continued just listening to them sing. That's how awesome it was, um, on this on this day. So, but in any regard, I need to preach the word to you guys today. So we're going to go ahead and do that. So we're here on Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus we have this savior and his name is Jesus and and God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus this man from Nazareth was sent by God he he came and lived on this earth he lived a perfect life perfectly fulfilling God's law teaching the word of God and then finally giving his life over as a sacrifice in the cross He was beaten and tortured and nailed up on a cross like a common criminal. The whole time, however, fulfilling God's will for his life to die as a sacrifice. His blood was spilt on that cross. He received on that cross the wrath of God, receiving the penalty for your sin and my sin. As the day came to a close, that Jesus died and was buried in a grave. And then on the third day, On the third day, that grave was empty because Jesus rose from the dead and resurrected. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about the consequences of the resurrection. What did Jesus accomplish in rising from the dead and why is it important for you and for me? Specifically, I want to talk to you today about how all people who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior are made into a new creation. We're going to talk about being made into a new creation in Christ today. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The words will also be on the screen if you want to follow along there or use your phone or tablet. 2 Corinthians 5, the first question we're going to answer this morning is, what did Jesus do for you? What did Jesus do for you? Look at verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Well, what does it mean to be in Christ? That's the first thing we see in that text. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then some things are going to happen to that person. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, simply stated, to be in Christ means to be walking with Christ, to be in fellowship with Christ. A word we use to describe that is to be a Christian. Now, to be a Christian, Jesus said that we are to turn from our sin, our past mistakes, and uh, that's called repentance, and then we're supposed to turn to God by faith in Jesus as both the Lord and leader of our life and the one who saves us from our sins. That truth of being a Christian compels a person to do two important things. First, to place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, the one who received the penalty for our sins. To believe that he actually did that for us. And second, to follow him. To obey him. To follow his lead in our life. Now, The text there says that when someone is in Christ or a Christian, that person becomes a new creature or a new creation. Specifically, it says that a Christian is a new creation, meaning his or her life has been radically changed by Jesus. Now that radical change produces four things in our life that I want to talk to you about this morning. Through Christ... We are changed by God into someone new. To be a new creation means that we are someone new. It's interesting, in the New Testament, book of John, chapter 3, there's a story about this religious leader named Nicodemus. Now, he was one of the most well-trained, most well-respected religious leaders of the day. Uh, He came to Jesus by night to ask him some questions about his identity, who he is, what he came to do. So he comes to Jesus and, and enters in and, and begins this conversation with Jesus. And he's got lots of questions. He, he recognizes that Jesus is from God, that Jesus has a special mission. But he doesn't really know who Jesus is. So rather abruptly, Jesus just says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. Like, if you were to read that text, it almost comes out of nowhere. But perhaps Jesus was reading Nicodemus's heart trying to sort out who Jesus is and what he came to do. You have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Well, that leads Nicodemus almost into a, a, a quandary. I almost can see him sort of laughing and snickering at Jesus. What do you mean born again? Like I'm supposed to somehow re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? Of course, that's laughable. Jesus says... You're one of the most well trained religious leaders, and you still don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Because Jesus was, of course, not speaking about a physical rebirth, he was talking about a spiritual rebirth. He was talking about becoming a new creation. Later on, he would teach about how to do that. He would teach that through him and him alone is the way we become a new creation. The interesting fact about that is it doesn't matter who you are. This gift, this opportunity, is available to you. It doesn't matter what you did last night, what you did last week, or last month. You can be a new creation through Jesus. Well, how does that affect me? How does that change me? To be a new creation. Certainly that changes who we are, right? Well, there's a couple passages that describe what Jesus is talking about. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. When I become a new creation, I live my life through Jesus, by faith in him. By trusting him. He's my Lord. Not just the one who saves me, but the one who leads me. So as a new creation, I walk by faith in Christ. First John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as a new creation, we're forgiven. Are you tired? of carrying the burden of your sin? Are you tired of living with regrets? Of being haunted by your mistakes? Jesus' promise to us is that when we repent of our sin and trust in Him, we're forgiven by God. That our sin and our mistakes are wiped away. That God looks upon us and sees the righteousness of Christ. Christ. That's what it means to be a new creation. Second, through Christ, when we become a new creation, we see the world differently. Before Jesus makes us into a new creation, the Bible says that we are blind. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This passage reminds me of John chapter 9. Jesus was wandering through the crowds and he saw a blind man who had been blind since birth. And he approached the man and gave him the miracle of healing his vision so he could see again. So a man born blind was now able to see. Well, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they didn't like that. They didn't understand what was happening. They didn't like the influence and the power that Jesus had over the people. And so they called this blind man in and asked him a lot of questions about his blindness and about who it was that healed him and what this guy thought about Jesus. And the blind man was sort of frank with them and said, "I, I don't really know the answers to many of the questions you're asking I would think that you, being our spiritual leaders, that you would understand who Jesus is. Obviously, he's sent by God. He just healed me of my blindness. And so they kept pressing that man, and finally the man gave an explanation and said, you know, I don't really know what you're asking. I don't know the answers. This is what I do know. I once was blind, and now I see. As a person... Before you know Christ, the Bible says you're spiritually blind. The promise from Christ, however, is that when you repent and trust in Him as Lord and Savior, you will begin to see spiritually. What does that mean? A veil is lifted from your eyes and you see the world for what it is. We see God's creation anew. Instead of seeing a world full of Natural processes, we see a world created and overseen by a sovereign God. We see God's work in everything. We see and recognize God's purpose for our lives and God's plan for our future. We see the world differently. Third, through Christ, we become adopted into a new spiritual family. The Bible calls this the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. The interesting thing is, when you become a new creation through Jesus, you become a part of a family, a spiritual family. First, You become a part of the universal church. That's all believers everywhere all over the world who follow Jesus. Do you realize that? That you are a part of a universal family of God. You have brothers and sisters in Christ here, in China, in Africa, in Korea, in Russia, all over the world. One day you'll meet them in heaven, a part of the universal church of Christ You also have an opportunity to be a part of a body of believers right here, right here in Key West. We are a body of believers here at Fifth Street Baptist Church. And so I encourage you to become a part of a local body of believers. Now, what's interesting about the body, especially the local body, is when you become a believer, Jesus gives you supernatural gifts, these spiritual gifts, along with your skills and and the things you know how to do. Um, and your passions and Paul says all of us are a part of this body right so some of you are like the pinky toe and some of you are like the thumb or the ear or or the nose and he said everything kind of works together to fulfill God's desires for the church and to fulfill his command for us to fulfill a great commission he said the thing is, is when some aren't using their gifts, the, the body doesn't really work at full capacity. And so the important thing to remember is if you're a believer, you need to be a part of this church because we need you to be a part of this mission. So when you become a new creation, you become a part of the body of Christ, the church. Ephesians 2.19 says, so. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. I've never before seen the need for the local body as much as I have in the last year. Do you guys realize that one year ago we didn't even have church on Easter in person? We had it online. It was probably the first time maybe you went to church in your pajamas? Anybody had pajamas and a coffee going last year? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Oh, okay. Is that that Abijah there? Had some coffee? Wow. He likes his coffee in the morning? Nice. Perfect. Who'd have thought, you know, two years ago that we would be planning last Easter to have church online because of COVID? Now, over this past year of COVID, I've learned a couple things about humanity that are important for the church. Well, the first one's not really important to the church, but it's pretty funny. I learned something interesting about us as a people. It's fairly peculiar, and no one could have predicted this. When things get tough for us, when we believe that the world may be coming to an end, that supplies might be running short, when we don't know maybe where our next paycheck or meal are going to come from, we get really worried and we go out and we buy all the toilet paper. (laughs) That says something about us as a people. You know that? And it's not just a Key West thing. It was all over the whole U.S. at least. Like when the rubber hits the road, the thing we're worried about most is toilet paper. There will be... There will be academic works and maybe even books written about that. And our kids are going to ask you about that, right? Or your grandkids. They're going to ask about what happened during the pandemic. You're going to have to tell them. I went out and bought eight cases of toilet paper. I don't know why. I don't know why I was hoarding toilet paper. You're going to have to tell them that. Just get ready. Maybe write down a journal. Because they're going to read about it in a book. And they'll ask you about it. You remember asking your grandparents about that kind of stuff? They're going to ask you. That's going to be our thing. The hoarding of toilet paper. So that was kind of kind of funny, but one thing I did learn about humanity um, during the last year in COVID related to uh, this particular topic is God created us to fellowship with one another, right? I'm sort of an introvert. We have any introverts in here? A few? I can't believe you guys raised your hand with me. Usually introverts don't want to be singled out. If you're an introvert, you know, maybe it's easier for you to like, you know, be alone and spend time without being around other people. Um, as an introvert, of course, I love you. I love this church. Um, I was really surprised by my own need for people, right? I missed you guys. I missed us getting together and fellowshipping and eating like we did this morning and having church together. I missed going to your house and having meals and having coffee together, all that stuff. Why? Why did I miss that? Because we were created to be in fellowship. We were created to walk through life together. That's one of the blessings of being a new creation. You're adopted into the family of God. You, you walk into a spiritual family that biblically must accept you. Isn't that the amazing part? As the church, we accept all people that, tr- that trust in Jesus, that are, that are believers. We, we want them in the family. Of course, we want all people here. But you're adopted into a special, unique family. Now, number four. Through Christ we have a new home in heaven. Isn't that amazing? If you've ever walked through a difficult time in your life and maybe came to a point where you thought you might die, that is probably one of the most reassuring things about our faith. Is that dying for us is not the end of anything, rather a transition into glory with Jesus. Christians are a new creation and God takes us to a new home when we die. Hebrews 13:14 says, "For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come." And Philippians 3:20 says, "Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." When someone becomes a Christian in a new creation, The next part of our text says that the old things pass away and new things have come. The the Christian's old life is over. It's ended. It passes away. It's over and done with. The way you thought, the, the way you spoke, the way you treated other people, the way you lived, it all dies with the old you. The best part of all this is God no longer holds you accountable for your mistakes that you made in the past. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Not everything about us changes immediately, right? It's a process. We still have some old habits, some old ways of thinking, but Jesus will change those over time. Because Jesus loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Right? His desire for us is that we grow in Him. That our faith increases. That we walk closer with Him. We become more and more sanctified or made holy in Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 26 describes this process. He says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I can't think of anything better than watching this congregation grow in your faith in Christ. I've seen so many of you become, first and foremost, saved, born again. And then, just over time, taking these steps of faith in Christ. Steps of faith. Steps of faith that he's called you into obedience. Taking steps of faith to follow him into a future that only he knows and that's been amazing seeing you and your families changed by jesus the truth is god has the power to change anyone even you and there's living proof standing in front right here in this pulpit if god can change me God can change you. And if God can change you, he can change your neighbor. He can change your mom, your dad, your grandfather, your grandmother, your coworker. No one is outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. And God desires for all people to be saved, to be changed. You know, I remember in high school, I remember a day at a restaurant I was, in high school, I was a cook, and I worked at a, a fine restaurant, and I had kind of worked myself up from, from dishwasher up to, um, I was a waffle cook on the Sunday buffet, and then finally, I was, call, I was uh, hired to be the line cook for breakfast. And that was kind of a big deal, right, for, uh, I think I was like 16 years old. And uh, the thing is, though, is when I made the food, it had to be perfect. Whatever, the way they ordered the eggs had to be perfect. Everything didn't have to just taste really good. It had to look good. It was like a piece of art, Right. And there were very specific ways that you put things on the plate. And I remember one day I was working at the grill. And, and a, a cut like three or four groups came in real early. So there weren't a lot of staff. So I had to try and handle it myself. Well, the group came in. And it was like four groups. And every single person in that group had a special order. Right? So we, Do we have any special order people in here? Like when you go in... Is the menu kind of like suggestions to you? (laughs) Right? Let me just tell you from a past cook to you, we love you. (laughs) We love you guys with your special orders. It's awesome. You know, you wake up, they wake up in the morning and think, I hope someone comes in that really can challenge my culinary skills this morning. As many substitutions as possible. Let's order things that we've never heard of before. I love all of that, right? So thank you guys for being that person. Um, That's awesome. Well, I happened to get about 10 of those people randomly. They were at different tables, but they all had something special, right? So they wanted like the Western omelet with no onions and green peppers. Or they wanted like the hash browns, but they really didn't want them cooked, you know, uh, too brown. Or they, you know, one guy wanted like semi-raw bacon, right? That's gross, but he likes that. So that's what we had to do, right? So I'm like trying to get stuff going and I'm at work for like five minutes and I figure out as I'm working, I notice like everything I'm doing is making it worse. Like stuff's starting to burn, there's smoke, two omelets are totally trashed, uh, there's a hash brown that's gone bad, um, the semi-raw bacon is now uh, extra well-done bacon So everything they ordered special is like the opposite of that. It's very unspecial, uh, very horrible. So I'm like just sinking in this Titanic of a lack of culinary skills, right? I'm just sinking down. I know that i got to have this food out in 10 minutes. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, another cook came around the corner. He's like, hey, Josh, how's it going over here? And I think he just looked at the desperation on my face, and he knew that I created this ginormous mess, and I knew that there was nothing I could do about it. Right? So, he comes, he goes, okay, we still got time. So, he goes, just stop. Just step away. Take a step back. And he just took the big grill uh, flat uh, grill spatula and just scoops everything in the trash. Just right there. We start clean. We start making everything. All the special orders come out perfect. The people are happy. And we finish the day. That's kind of what Jesus does in our life, right? So, like, How is your life going when you make all your decisions on your own? Does that always go real well for you? Like when you decide what's best for yourself? Like when we go in that route, we do a pretty good job of messing things up usually, right? The problem is is we can't fix the big problem that we made for ourselves in our life. But we don't have to fix it because God did that for us. God sent Jesus. Jesus comes and remakes our life. He turns us into a new creation. Just like that friend when he came in and helped me fix all my problems and helped me produce the food that was ordered, Jesus will come into your life and make you into a new creation and make things right with God. Now, the next question is, how does he do that? Is anyone interested in finding out how God makes us into a new creation? Since a couple of you nodded yes, I'm going to keep going. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The first thing we need to know when we're asking how how does God do this The first thing we need to figure out or notice in verse 18 is that it is a work or a gift of God. Right? Being made into a new creation is not something you can do on your own. And it's not something that you earn from God. It says there that it's from God. All these things are from God. Now, they're a gift. If you were able to do enough good works to be made into a new creation, be born again, that would be a wage. You would have earned that. But our salvation is not a wage. The Bible says it's a gift. It's not something you earn, it's something freely given to you from God. Ephesians 2 1 says this And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. That's all of us before Christ indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. All of us are in the same boat. Separated from God, our relations severed. No desire to please Him with a full desire to please ourselves. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved so first how does he do it he does it through christ as a gift not as a wage not by works by grace as a gift through jesus now what does jesus exactly do to make us into a new creation well verse 18 says god reconciled us to himself through christ Now, he uses that word reconciled, and that means for someone to need to be reconciled to someone else, that means that their relationship's been severed, that they're they're either fighting or there's something wrong and the relationship is broken. Romans 5.10 talks about this. It says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So at some point in your life, Before you knew Jesus, or even now if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're enemies with God. You're, You're not in a relationship with Him. You're not friends with Him. You're enemies of Him. The truth is that all people sin and fall short of the glory of God. We are determined to turn away from His plan in our lives and follow our own paths. And if we had a nursery meeting right now, if some of these kids in here were in our nursery, you could go and watch for five minutes and see that starts very early. Us wanting what we want, right? Us being willing to offend other people to have what we think we need. The blessing is, the promise is, even while we were his enemies, that God still loved us. And he demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. So God didn't desire and doesn't desire for Our relationship with him to be broken so he did something about it that's why Jesus came Jesus's death and resurrection provided a pathway for our relationship with God to be reconciled or repaired and the reconciliation that Jesus secured on our behalf created more than just a friendly relationship all these blessings are poured out upon us it saved us from God's wrath for our sins It adopted us into the family of God, and we one day will receive an inheritance in heaven and a guaranteed and eternal reward and a place for us to go when we die. Now, verse 19 kind of transitions into the last part of this message. It's the now what of our life. So if you are a believer in Jesus, if you You've repented of your sin, and you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So everything I just said, you're like, yes, I I believe that. That's awesome. I'm following Jesus. I love what he did for me. I love my spiritual gifts. I love my church. I love that I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I love all that stuff, right? you love that stuff or what? Yes, okay. Now what? Now what? Verse 19. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we've got a job to do. The word of reconciliation is the message to other people that they can also be saved by Jesus and reconciled to God. For some reason, we struggle with that part, right? So, does anybody in here um, participate in Black Friday? You know Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, right? When everything goes on sale. Have, has anyone... Wanna, is anyone brave enough to raise their hand and admit that, like me, you have stood in a Black Friday line? All right, we got a few. Anybody over here? All right. You know the last service, no one would raise their hand? Nobody. I don't want to call that whole group of people liars, but, you know, maybe they didn't. That's fine. So I'm raising my hand all alone. So I'm glad some of you were willing to admit this. So I don't need to explain... Black Friday too, but I will just in case. So on Thursday, Thanksgiving, this giant fat newspaper comes out, right? And it's full of ads, right? I love the newspaper too on Thursday, man. Me and my family, we get it. We flip through those things. We talk about what, what we would love to buy. And, and then what happens is inside those ads, there's always like maybe like a dozen or half a dozen super deals. One of the super deals is always this ginormous TV that no one really needs, Right? And it's like $150, right? But your store is going to have four of those TVs, right? Not like 50. There's like, it's while supplies last, guaranteed like four TVs. And the print's in like negative one font. Like you have to get a magnifying glass to see it. There's four TVs waiting for you there. So we go and we wait in line for whatever we saw, that super deal. Oftentimes many things we really don't even need anyway, but it's exciting. So one year, I waited in line to, in, on Black Friday to get some deal. So I wait in line, I got my thing, and on the way out, I remembered that I needed to get some soap, right? So thankfully, you don't wait in line to get soap. Now, if it was Black Friday toilet paper, you know, who knows if there would have been any around. But I, I waited in line, I got, and, I, and I got my thing. I went to get the soap. And I grabbed my soap, and I noticed behind the soap, there's a couple of electronics that someone had hidden back there. Because maybe they couldn't buy those or didn't have the money or maybe there was a limit. So I saw those back there. And just telling you, if you, if you have heard what I'm saying, um, that's a no-no, okay? If you go participate in Black Friday, you're not allowed to hide things that come back later, right, Amanda? It's, it's not right. It's not Christian to do that to somebody else. So, you know, I looked and laughed. You know, I got my soap and walked away and thought, well, maybe someone else will find it. So I left it there. Now, that's kind of funny, right? But the struggle is, relating that to Christianity and our faith as believers, is God's committed to us this ministry of proclaiming the word, of telling people the gospel. But oftentimes, we we have this wonderful, joyful, amazing gift from Jesus. And instead of sharing it with people, we hide it away, right? Like that person who hid that Black Friday deal away behind the soap. We know that God's amazing, right? Is God amazing? We're so thankful and filled with joy that we've been born again, right? Wouldn't the rest of the world love to be saved? We know they need to be. We know that Jesus can radically change their life. We know he wants to do that. And yet we take that message of reconciliation, that joy, and we like... Kind of hide it. We hoard it, you know, inside of our own heart when we should be telling people about it. God desires for us to share the message. Look at verse 20. I'll say this and, and I'll be done. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of God of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God in him. So an ambassador is this accredited appointed person who goes to another country and speaks on behalf of the ruler of his home country. Jesus called us his ambassadors. That means we are we are citizens of heaven in this land on this earth called by God to represent Jesus. Now, ambassadors do two things. They live in a way that reflects the life and the way that the ruler would want them to live. So we should live in a way that leads other people to Jesus. One of the most important things we should do is just live with joy, right? If, if salvation is, is radical and life-changing and amazing, that should just pour out of our lives, right? So at my house, when we get up in the morning, if one of us wakes up on the wrong side of the bed... We, we ask them if they've got the grumps today. You got the grumps this morning? That's what we ask. And then we, we laugh and make fun of each other until we're all laughing. That's how we get over the grumps. None of us as believers should live with the grumps, right? We should live with joy, right? Because we have an unshakable, undeniable joy from Christ A joy that supersedes, penetrates, and overwhelms all circumstances. Even death does not overwhelm our joy. Because death is but a transition for us to go home to heaven. So don't be a grumps. Live with joy. We're ambassadors for Christ. Finally, an ambassador speaks for the ruler. And our ruler, our Lord Jesus, has given us a message to go out into the world to tell them about Jesus. How do we do that? Well, has Jesus radically changed your life? Are you happy about it? You should tell people that. Literally. Hey, you know what? Jesus changed my life. Can I tell you about what he did? That's it. The same way you tell someone about a vacation, the same way you tell somebody about a fun family event at Thanksgiving, tell them about what Jesus did in your life. It's as easy as that. So, live as the ambassador sent us to live and share the message. So, now in just a minute, we're going to close. In a second, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. I want to invite our team to come back up for our time of invitation. We're going to have a, a, a time of invitation now. And so, what happens is we're all going to sing a song together. And it gives you an opportunity to respond to whatever it is that God is doing in your life, whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to you during this message. Perhaps you need to be saved today. Perhaps today you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In a minute when we start singing, I want you to come forward. Just walk right up here. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. We'll just pray together. And I'm going to show you the way to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today's the day for you to be saved. Maybe you're already a believer, but you're ready to take a stand for Christ. You're ready to declare to him, I'm ready to be your ambassador. I'm ready to proclaim the message. I want to tell people about how they can be saved, how they can be reconciled with God. You can come and do that at the altar. You can do it at your seat, however you want, but don't let this moment pass by, this moment of decision. Don't let this opportunity to respond to the way that God is working in your heart pass. Would you all stand with me now? Heavenly Father, I pray over this congregation. We celebrate that you rose from the dead, Lord Jesus, and that we have joy, unspeakable joy, because you overcame Now, during this time of invitation, help us to take a step of faith. Help the one who does not yet know you repent and be saved. Help the one who's walking with you to renew their faith. Help the one who needs to make a decision to serve you to be ready to take that step. Whatever it is you're calling us to do, help us to do that now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.